Today, sales teams are more distributed, moving faster than ever before. But most enablement and training is slow to build, hard to change, and often doesn't drive results. So the good folks over at Lessonly built a powerfully simple enablement solution to help sales teams like yours ramp 50% faster, continuously improve, and close up to 75% more deals. Lessonly empowers leaders to quickly create, update, and share branded bite-sized lessons that reps will actually take on any device. Make enablement and feedback personalized to each rep. Quickly identify skills gaps, provide specific coaching, recognize great performance, and get back to revenue-driving activities faster. Check out Lessonly.com, L-E-S-S-O-N-L-Y.com. If you're in sales, check this one out. This episode is brought to you by Spiff. Want real-time transparency and visibility into your commission plans? No more payout questions, miscalculations, or hours spent on commission reports or disputes. Automate commissions with Spiff and stay motivated, not distracted. Go to spiff.com forward slash Colin to get started today. That's spiff.com forward slash Colin. And now back to the episode. Hello and welcome back to the Colin Cadmus podcast. This is episode 10, the last and final episode of season one. And I don't think I've ever been as excited for an episode as I am for this one. Our guest today is Antoinette Tuff. Antoinette is a survivor, author, and speaker. On August 19th, 2013, Antoinette was working as a bookkeeper at an elementary school in Atlanta, severely depressed because her husband of 33 years had recently left. She now, as a single mom, was faced with the daunting challenges of raising a son with multiple disabilities, a daughter in law school, and never did she think that she would become a hero, saving more than a thousand lives, a best selling author, an international celebrity, an expert on community safety, the founder and CEO of a nonprofit, Kids on the Move for Success, or a guest of Michelle Obama at the State of the Union Address. The next day changed her life forever. Antoinette, an accidental hostage negotiator, used her experiences with challenging life issues to successfully convince an armed gunman to give her his AK-47. This is the only school shooter situation in the U.S. that ended without death or injury to students, faculty, parents, or the shooter himself. Experienced hostage negotiators, law enforcement, and community leaders have praised her intuitive yet textbook hostage negotiation skills that she used on August 20th, 2013 to save over a thousand lives. When I came across Antoinette's story and I saw that she speaks about it, I knew that this would be the perfect way to conclude this season. Negotiation spans much farther into our lives than just sales. And there's really no better example of that than what Antoinette experienced that day. Her story is so incredible that in 2018, it actually got the recognition that it deserved when seven-time Grammy Award winner Tony Braxton starred as Antoinette in the movie Faith Under Fire for Lifetime TV. The movie's incredible. If you haven't seen it yet, check it out on Amazon. But before you do, right now, we are going to get to hear firsthand the story from Antoinette herself. Antoinette, thanks again so much for joining me today and being willing to share your story with us. Awesome. It's a great and a pleasure to be here on your podcast today, Colin. <laughs> likewise, likewise. I, I, I've been looking forward to this so much. And, uh, you know, we did our, our pre-interview and I watched the movie and, and I'm just I'm so into the story now. But today we get to go deeper than we did in our pre-interview. So I'm very excited. Um, obviously, I just gave a high level of the backstory there as an intro, but I think it's good to kind of start and hear from you. I'd like to start with what was going on in your life prior to this day, right? We talked a little bit about it in the intro, but to, to hear it from your own words, where were you at mentally? What was going through your head? Well, uh, where I was at mentally was uh, unstable. 
my um, ex-husband had um, actually left me. We had been together for 33 years. I had been with him since I was 13. We got a divorce when I was 46 years old. And so it was an overwhelming time for me trying to figure out what's my next. I didn't even have an electric bill in my name, you know, trying to figure out like, where does my life start at now since I felt like it was over. Two days before that on August the 18th, um, it was not my first time trying to commit suicide, but it was my last. I went to one of the busiest streets here in Atlanta and I walked out in front of a car and the car didn't hit me. And then I walked out in front of a truck. And, you know, anybody who knows about 18 wheelers, they can't stop on the dime. Right. But this one did. Didn't know that he was stopping on a dime because two days later, God needed me to be in position to save over 870 innocent children, staff and parents. When the young man walked into the elementary school, he was only 20 years old. He walked into the school with an AK-47 and about 500 rounds of ammo. And it was about eight months after the actual Sandy Hook school shooting. So we had just seen all of these innocent lives taken. It was a devastating time. I thought it was already bad when my ex-husband left. But when you're sitting there faced with an AK-47, a young man saying that he had not taken all of his medicine, that he should just die. When he's walking to and fro in front of you, allowing you to know that all of us are going to die today. That's an experience that I tell any salesperson, you don't ever want to experience <laughs> at all. <laughs> that is, I mean, God, that's, that's the truth, right? There's, there's yeah. no question about that. Um, in the movie, I don't know if maybe I missed this, but there was something that I didn't pick up from the movie. And I'm curious if, uh, if there's more to it that maybe just wasn't shown in the movie. But because you just mentioned there that he had said something about not having his medication and wanting to die. And I didn't, I don't know if I picked on that in the movie, but I was, I remember the, the big question I had at the end was, did we ever find out why he did this? What was going on with him? Um, again, maybe I just missed it in the movie, but it didn't feel like they gave much of a story about him. Did you ever reconnect with him after learn more about what happened? Is, is there more context there that you learned later? Well, what I did was after that, um, I wanted to go back and see, like, you know, what was the cause of this young man and why did he feel the need? Right. Because at the end of the day, he's somebody's son. He's going to be somebody's dad and somebody's husband one day. And so he was younger than my son. And I wanted to be able to know, you know, my whole thing is, you know, what's going on in the in the minds of our youth, you know, and how can we support them? Right. And so I wanted to go back and see that. And so I, I realized how much me and him both had in common. So he had tried to um, kill his brother. And at the same time he tried to kill his brother was the same time I tried to kill my ex-husband. I just wanted him dead because he wasn't going to come back home. And, and looking back at it now, was it crazy? Absolutely, yes. Oh, I didn't I didn't remember that part from, from our first crazy. combo. <laughs> you saved that for today. You all are getting the inside story. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell me about that. You tried to actually kill him. Well, we, I was sitting in the parking lot and he had, he had came to me and said to me multiple times that he was coming back home. And this time was no different. So on December the 31st, he had said that. And so, um, I called one of my friends and I asked him, it said my book is not on the actual movie. And I asked him if I could use his gun. And he was like, you don't know what no gun look like. What you going to do with a gun? <laughs> you don't even know how to shoot a gun. <laughs> and so I was like, you can show me real quick how to do it. He said, you get a gun, gun, go shoot a gun. You're going to be backfiring shooting yourself. 
And so he talked me off the edge. And so I was like, okay. And so I remember my um, my ex-husband's aunt and them had said to me, you know, come back to the house because I had left their house to go meet him. And I was like, you know what, God? I said, God, I need you to get me to church. So it was like New Year's Eve service. So I went to church and I, I can't even tell you what the preacher preached about that service. I just cried out to God like, okay, God, you have got to save me. You got to help me with this. It's just overwhelming for me, right? And so I just remember that day just being so overwhelmed, trying to figure it out, not understanding it and, you know, trying to figure out like, why me? What did I do wrong? You know, I tried to be, you know, this good wife to him. And, you know, all these things were going through my mind, not understanding like the why, right? Right. But now that I go back and look at it, now I understand the why. The why didn't have anything to do with me. It didn't have anything to do with him. The why was I needed to save over 870 innocent children, staff, and parents. And if I had not been in that situation with him, then I would have not been ready because I would have not known how to handle it. We, me and my ex-husband, we were going on walks, having good times. We had went on a walk before I found out that he had wound up cheating on me and was in another affair. We had went on a date the weekend before. You know, so how many of you all, uh, and this is a question for your audience, and now it's really important because we got all this going on with Corona, right? We have all this going on with the pandemic and everything going on in our lives. So people now who may have been salespeople now, who, who was like the top salesman, maybe the, you know, kind of medium salesman, and maybe at the bottom of their field at this point and trying to figure out how are they going to get back on top, right? And so for me, that's why I was. I was like, okay, I don't get it. You know, why? You know, what did I do wrong? I made sure that I cooked breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. He didn't have to do anything. You know, and so how many of us are, are sitting down now and you're realizing now that the woman that you were married to, the man that you was married to, they really ain't who you thought you was married to. And now that we're in this pandemic, we're now and they're seeing that they're not being able to live the lifestyles that they were living prior to the pandemic. Right. Because you got some that was in sales making one hundred thousand dollars just in sales. And now they may be making 50 or 25,000. And that same spouse that was right there with them when they were making 100,000 are no longer there. They checked out. And so what we have to do in that and what I had to realize in that is like, okay, Antoinette, you've soaked everything up from your marriage to your kids and everything about your life. You've put it around everybody else. Now, how do you come back and realize and, and put it on yourself? So I had to do this thing I call the mirror that I do for myself. And I had to introduce myself to myself. And I had to say, Antoinette, meet Antoinette. Antoinette, love Antoinette. Now, when I first did it, I ain't gonna kid you. I cried like a baby. <laughs> and so I'm telling your audience, they might cry like a baby the first time, but what you gotta do is take out that time just to love you. And because what I realized in that is that, how can I love someone else? Or how can I put so much into someone else when I don't even know how to love myself? And so today, I love me today. <laughs> I love that. I feel like you can just see it in your smile too. Oh, right? yes. <laughs> you know, like I want to dive into a, a couple things here. I want to backtrack for a minute on the suicide topic. Mm -hmm. um, the reason I want to dig into it a little bit is a, I think that people just don't talk about it enough, right? I think you can probably never talk about this enough. And so we have the opportunity to talk about it. And so perhaps there's just one person listening right now that we can help a little bit, uh, mm -hmm. then that would be worth it. So I want to ask you a little bit. So you, you attempted suicide twice. Um, 
what I would like to try to understand, and I think that I tried to think about what to ask here, and I wanted to make sure that whatever we talk about can try to be helpful and maybe save a life. And I think in hindsight, like I, I have people in my life who have committed suicide. I think we've all, you know, been connected to that in one way or the other at some point. Uh, and in hindsight, it's always, how didn't I see it? How didn't I know? How couldn't I help? Why didn't I see a sign? And so what I'm curious to ask you, being on, on the other side of that and, and having actually gone through with trying it multiple times, were you mad that no one tried to help you, that no one saw it? Did you feel like someone should have seen that you were needing help? Well, so people did see it. Um, I have a core group of friends that have been my friends for years. And one of the things that um, that I was known for in my school at the time is my um, actual supply closet was like my prayer closet. So my teachers and educators knew when something was going on, I had all, I had all in my office that we, I'm going to all you down, pray you down and, and, and fix you back up and put you back out there in the classroom. <laughs> I was known for that. So they knew when they had hard times, Antoinette and that, and that supply closet was going to get them right. <laughs> Cause we was going to pray and all that. And so I had my principal and assistant principal, um, that not, they weren't principal and assistant principal then. They were my teachers and one of them was my assistant principal. So they knew what I was going through. They moved from my school and went to another school where they're at now, where they're the principal and assistant principal. Okay. And so they helped save my life. They was talking me down, trying to figure out where I was and all of that. Um, that every time I would go into one of my crises, God would always have an angel or somebody there that would connect to me and kind of walk me through the process or walk me through it and all of that. And so what I would say is you got to get you a good core of friends and somebody that's going to hold you accountable, somebody who's going to go in there and say, you ain't meet your sales today. What's going on? Okay. Our goal was we was going to meet ABC. And so it becomes iron shopping's iron. And if you don't have that person that's not going to check you, right? you might want to check out on them because they ain't the right person in your circle. Because you're going to have to, when you iron and sharpening iron, you're going to get into somewhere where I ain't going to like you today because you told me something I ain't want to hear. Right. <laughs> and tomorrow I'm going to love you a whole lot because you told me something I really needed to hear. So when you look at all that, you want to make sure that you come back and have somebody that's going to support you when you're doing good and support you when you're not doing good and then be able to push you when you need to be pushed. And so for me, I had those kind of friends in my life and those kind of friends are in my life today. I, I build relationships with people. I try to make sure that, you know, when I'm in a crisis and when I'm not in a crisis, that I got people that can check me, but I know when they're checking me, they're checking me with love. They're not checking me with envy and jealousy and craziness. They're checking me because they literally love me and want the best for me. And so when you looking at, you know, who's those core people that you're going to get in your circle, you want to be able to look at that. And so it was those people who came back to reach back every time when I was suicidal. You know, come on, you got it. Come on, you can do this. I know it's hard. Even down to my son. I remember one day when I was in my suicide moments and my son said to me, um, he would, um, he's in a wheelchair. So my son is multiple disabled. He's blind and he's um, 
in a wheelchair and he has charcoal marie tooth disease. And for those of your audience who may not be familiar with that is when your nerves in your body are deteriorating and there's nothing you can do about it. But my son would do what I did to them when they were children. So what I would do with my kids when they were children, I used to do this thing called lay in my bosom. And so when they was hurting, had a bad day at school, I, I, I brought them up like that. I would lay them in my bosom and that was their safe place. And so whatever was going on, I would pray over them, talk life back into them. So if they came and they had a bully or whatever was going on, I would talk life back into them. And so my son came to me. He said, Ma, come on. And I was like, well, he said, sit in my lap and lay in my bosom. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. That ain't what you're supposed to be doing. I'm supposed, you're supposed to be laying in mine. He told my mama, it's your turn now. <laughs> so, and that's how it's supposed to work with kids, right? Yeah. At some point, they need to take care of you. That's it. And so that particular day and every day that he was at home with me, he would actually speak life into me. He would come in there and he would um, speak life into me. He would read poetry over me. And he said to me one day, he said, Mom, you must live and not die. Those are some powerful words, right? They are. And, and that's why I'm, I'm still trying to connect the dots, right? So you are surrounded by these good people. You have love in your life but yet you still got pushed to the point of walking in front of the truck. Is that something that was it planned or is it more like you're in the moment, you're out on the street or whatever, and everything is just crashing down so hard and it's just kind of, uh, you know, spur of the moment or is it well thought out? Well, let me say this. Anybody who's trying to commit suicide, don't go moment by moment of I'm going to do this or I'm going to walk in front of the car or I'm walking in front of the truck. Oh, by the way, I'm going to take all these pills today. It's what's going on in your life that puts you to the breaking point that you feel like you want to break. And so for me, it was one more day of my ex-husband saying he was coming home and I didn't know how to live without him. It was one more day of his promises and false hope. It was one more day of trying to figure out how am I going to survive without this man that I had been with since I was 13 years old. I had never slept in a bed by myself. So I'm trying to, you know, navigate having to be by myself, sleep by myself. You know, I didn't have any of that. So when you're going through a time that's so overwhelming um, and even like now with this pandemic, we got more suicide rates now than we've ever had. We got divorce rates is high. You know, we got domestic violence is high. So you got all of this stuff, right, that's going on. And at the end of the day, you're trying to figure out how do I survive? And you don't know how. And so when you're looking at it, I didn't plan to say that, oh, by the way, today is going to be my day. There was something that triggered that day to make me say, oh, I'm going to go walk out in front of the car. Oh, I'm going to walk in front of the truck. Oh, by the way, I'm going to do A, B, C, and D. So it was days that triggered me to do those things, but those things were triggered by the reaction and the responses that I was getting from my spouse at the time. Got it. So when you look, yeah. So when you look at that and you're dealing with people that have mental illness, it's important for people to know you don't wake up and say, oh, by the way, I'm going to have mental illness today. You don't wake up and say, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm going to, you know, go out and, 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 and kill so-and-so, this and that. You don't do that. There's something that's triggering that to make you then set up or, or, or go out to do that. Got it. Okay. That makes a lot of sense for me now. So, so it, 
it's almost like life is just it's building up. It's just creeping and creeping and, and you get a breaking point. Right. And, and sort of like like in life, all of the stars can align for the right reasons. And this is the polar opposite of that. Right. And you're in this scenario where you just don't know what to do. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I want to throw in here, I did a little bit of research. And I want your audience to be able to understand. See, I didn't start off with walking out in front of the car in the truck. That was my end. And you got to go back and look at my beginning started in April of 2012. My end for my suicide ended on August the 18th, 2013. So you see, there's a whole year of a span time yeah. for me trying to jump out the car, trying to commit suicide. There were multiple things that I was doing in the midst of all that to commit suicide. That was just my end that you heard of. You just didn't hear the beginning and all the in-between. Got it. That makes sense. It, it, it really just builds up over time, it, it sounds like. And all it takes is just the one wrong scenario or timing to, to push someone over that edge. And I, I guess that's why it's not as easy as it may seem in hindsight for people, you know, for the loved ones around to say, oh, I should have seen that or this or that, because it's it's not necessarily premeditated. It's It's not very well thought out. It's not logical, obviously. Um, or I guess it could be in some ways, but but in the in the grand scheme of things, it's not. Um, it makes a lot of sense. And, and I want to add in here, just because we're on this topic, I want to make sure that for anyone who is listening, if you are experiencing suicidal thoughts and you need help, I, I wanted to at least find a, a place that we can tell them to go. Um, and that is suicidepreventionlifeline.org. This is not a sponsorship or anything. I, I really just want to at least be able to tell people if you're struggling right now and you're listening to this and you're feeling the way that Antoinette was feeling, uh, you need to find help. Please find help. Killing yourself is not the answer. Um, and Antoinette is living proof of that, right? And, and there's uh, almost a thousand people that are alive today uh, because she didn't kill herself and because she was there to save them. And so please, uh, if you're struggling, suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Um, to me, it looked like the best, most reputable place to go. I don't know if you have another suggestion, but I, I did some research and it looked like the, the right place to send people. But uh, before we move on you know, to the rest of the story, is there any advice or, or anything you'd like to add there for someone who, who may be struggling with mental health or, or suicidal thoughts? I would tell them to go and sit on a sofa. Go get you a therapist or somebody that you can talk to. Sometimes you can't talk to your family. Yeah. Sometimes you can't talk to friends. Sometimes it takes a total stranger to be able to pull out your heart and say, this is what I'm going through. I'm struggling today. Right now, today, I still have me two sessions, <laughs> twice a month. With all going on with COVID and all that, everything that's going on in our lives and everything that's going on in my life, I sit down. I, I, you know, I talk through those thoughts because if you don't, it's just like when you go and you say, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to lose some weight. And I'm not going to eat that chocolate chip cookie. And somebody in the house bring a whole dozen of fresh chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> it's always on that day, too, right? Yeah. When you had decided that you was not going to eat chocolate chip cookies. And in your mind, you're telling yourself, I'm not going to eat that chocolate chip cookie. And for some reason, they just got them fresh, hot, baked chocolate chip cookies. And all you can smell is the good old chocolate melting in the cookie. Now, when you sit there, you can't do nothing but say to yourself, I'm going to start this tomorrow because I'm going to eat me one of them cookies. Right. That's just how life is. 
When you go in and you get an actual temptation, don't allow it to just sit there and fester. You got to do something about it. And that means if you got to go sit on somebody's sofa somewhere and say, I need some time, I need to have some conversation. If you need to call a hotline, I would encourage you to love you today. Because one thing I learned about all of that through it all was that it helped me to love me. And I didn't know that I didn't love me until that. Because I thought I did. If anybody would have asked me, well, Antoinette, you love yourself? I'm like, yeah, I love myself. But it wasn't until my life changed that I realized that I really did not love myself. And so I'll tell anybody, first of all, do my mirror challenge. Go in there and look in the mirror and introduce yourself to yourself. Love on yourself. Take some time out for yourself. it's, It's good to have family. But even as women, we are like sponges. We soak it all up. Go get you, I don't care if you go to Chick-fil-A, McDonald's, and get you an ice cream cone with a good old book and sit in your car. (laughs) Get you some mommy time. (laughs) Get you some mommy time, daddy time for those single dads, because we got single dads too. Get you some time just for yourself, just to love on yourself. And sometimes you just have to do it for 15 minutes. Don't don't do it for hours because your family may not be able to, you know, understand it and all that. Start off with 15 minutes. But no matter what, love on yourself. It's important. It's so important. And people say it, but it's hard to understand, I think, you know, and especially when you're young, because I didn't really understand what loving myself meant, I think, until recently. And I'm just turned 35, but it took me a long time to figure that out. Uh, And, and, you know, it sounds like you were in a a very close relationship for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like you didn't have the chance to learn how to love yourself because you were so busy loving him and your kids. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're by yourself and you're like, I can hate myself Mm -hmm. or I can look myself in the mirror and reintroduce myself. And and I love that story. Um, And and the therapy, I I need to take my own advice and your advice on it. I've been saying for years that I'm going to go to therapy. Um, I'm a huge Howard Stern fan. And for anyone who knows Howard Stern, if you've listened to him over the course of his career, he started out as a crazy, immature kind of jerk. And now you listen to him and he's a completely different person. He's humble. He's nice. He's sweet. He's been in therapy for 30 years and it has completely molded him into this different person. And it's been incredible to listen to him. Anyway, I've always said that I need to do that. And, I, and I'll tell you, you know what? I'll, I'll be a little vulnerable here since you are as well. I went once. I went one time. It was about two years ago. I was feeling depressed. Just life was you know, piling up a little bit. And I said, maybe this is the time to go just talk to someone. And I went in. It was a lunch break. Like I left work at lunch, went, you know, found a, had a therapist down the road, went, I sat down. And I won't say what he asked me, but he asked me one question. And I don't know why but I bawled out crying mm-hmm. and I walked out. I panicked and I walked out and I never went back. Mm-hmm. And I still, to this day, don't know why I cried. It was very strange. It was like, it was just one question. And it was like, he struck something in me and I'm like, I'm not going there. And I just ran, you know, I basically was just like, I'll reschedule or something. You know, you get out of there. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think uh, something that I, 
I want to explore as well. Uh, I think there's so much self-growth that can happen there, whether you're suicidal or not, right? I think even yeah. even a person who's mentally stable uh, can probably still benefit from that stuff. So, so even, find your, even find yourself a group. One of the things that I do is I have a living on purpose program that I do for women, right? And it's a 12-week program that we do. I only take 10 women, so we do it on Zoom. But I only take 10, so everybody has an opportunity to speak and all that, right? Walk them through the process of being their bold, brave, and beautiful selves and, you know, putting them back in the driver's seat. Um, we do mommy time out of it. They love mommy time. <laughs> and so, But what it is is that it gives you um, an actual community, and I think that's what we're missing. And I would say to our salespeople out there is to build you a community, you know, build you a community of other salespeople that are not in competition with you, but can come back. And like I said earlier, an iron shopping's iron and build you a community that can be able to come in and say, OK, you don't understand that. Let me show you how to do that. I did that a couple of weeks ago. I know how to do that. Oh, let me show you what this looks like. But th what they do is they come in and they support each other. And so that was one of the reasons why I did my Living on Purpose um, actual program for 12 weeks, because I was like, I do not want another woman to feel like I felt when my ex-husband left me. I don't want them to feel hopeless and, you know, overwhelmed because they're taking themselves and putting everybody before them. So my women that are coming out of my program in a couple of weeks, um, they're going to be some bold, brave and beautiful women. <laughs> I love that. How many weeks is the program? It's 12 weeks. 12 weeks. And so our next session is going to start May the 4th. And so any of your audience would love to come over. They can always go on my um, AntoinetteTuff.com and sign up for my Women on the Move for Success, our Living on Purpose program. I love it. Now, that's in addition to what the other pr program that we're going to talk about, right? That's right. That's right. right. Okay. Got it. I want to make sure we don't confuse everyone. That's okay. Right. All right. Let's 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 jump into it here. So... <clears throat> It's August 20th, right? You're, you're struggling mentally. You're in a dark place. Uh, you get to school and I'll let you take it from there. Well, I get to school and because I'm in an overwhelming space, um, I have one of the, um, the secretary asked me, she said, well, internet, you know, she, she's coming in, she's brand new. So I was helping her a little bit. Then my principal says, well, can you help her with um, relieving her for lunch? And anybody know busy day, you don't want to do all that. You know, it's a busy day. We, you, I'm trying to do my stuff. I ain't trying to do all that. I'm like, that's when you want to say, that ain't my job description. Right. <laughs> Y'all sales, we're going to say, look, that ain't all my, no, no, I, I'm trying to get my own sales up, right? But I was like, okay. But by this time, I get back to my office trying to get all my stuff together so I can relieve her. And I get a phone call from the bank wanting $14,000 in seven days. So I'm saying to myself, did they get the memo? My husband had left me, left me with all these bills. I ain't got no money. <laughs> I just got the car back because I was bumming a ride before that. Literally just got the car at the shop. And so I'm sitting there just overwhelmed, bawling out, crying. The door closed. Nobody knows that I'm crying. Nobody knows that my husband was gone. Um, my teachers and everybody found out that my husband left me when they seen my story on CNN. <laughs> Nobody oh, knew. Oh, man. So it was like me unfolding everything. And so the gunman then, um, he's on his side of town passing several schools while I'm getting this news about I need $14,000. He's on his side planning out whatever he's doing. He passed several schools to get to my school. He so he's driving around with a gun in a rampage, 
no clear plans. I mean, he, he knows he's going to a school, but he's kind of just figuring it out. And you're well, getting I don't this know phone what he call. was going through in his mind, but I know he passed several schools before he got the mind. And then, but this is how God set you up though, because he passed several schools before he got to mind. He parked his car right next to my car. And if I had relieved the secretary the time that I was supposed to, I would have missed the gunman and she would have been there. And he didn't go to this school as a child, right? He didn't have a connection no, to the school? Not at all. He had said that he had been to the school with the band, but I don't remember seeing him. I had never seen him before in the community. And I opened up that school and I had never seen him before. But if you listen to my 911 tape, you'd have thought I'd seen him. <laughs> so... With all of that, you know, you go back and you look at all that. But what I wanted to do with that was you're in this environment, right? It's a diverse environment. You know, he's Caucasian. I'm African-American. He comes into an African-American school. So you're looking at diversity all the way around, right? You want to make sure that in this environment that I'm now talking to this gunman, how can I make him feel like he's included, right? How can I make this environment feel like an inclusive environment in this diverse situation, right? Let me pause you right there. How did you know to think that? Because that's the brilliance behind everything that you did that day. It really starts with that foundational thought. How did that even occur to you? I mean, you're A, you're depressed in a bad mindset. B, you have a gun in your face with a guy who's losing his mind. And you think so rationally to, to, to recognize something that I don't think most people know that that's that is the hostage negotiation strategy, right? It is to to first start to to recognize them as a person and, and make them try to feel more comfortable. Right. Essentially. Where did that come from? That intuition? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know what your audience and anybody else's higher being is, but mine is God. Um, because I had been in that situation and been suicidal and trying to figure it out, I didn't have anybody else to turn to. And I had already had a relationship uh, with God. It just started building even more so. And so, you know, I was sitting there the whole time, like screaming on the inside, <laughs> thought I was screaming on the outside, like, God, do you see what I see? Okay. He going to and fro. He said, we all going to die today. You know, okay, I, I tried to commit suicide two days ago, but I ain't trying to tell this young man to come in and take my life with this gun. That ain't, that ain't what I signed up for. And, and that's what he said, right? When he came in, he says, everyone's going to die, right? Yeah. And he said it multiple times. And so while we're in this environment, creating this environment, right? You still got to mix a little something else in the sauce. And I call it psychological safety. Because how are you going to allow him a psychological safety for those who don't know is mentally. This young man is saying to me, I hadn't taken my medicine. I'm not mentally stable. And we're all going to die today. So when you put diversity, inclusion, and psychological safety together, I call it dips. And if you don't have dips in your organization, dips in your sales process, dips in your home, and dips in every area of your life, your money going to be looking funny and your change going to be looking strange. I had to write that down because I, I love that acronym. So I was just writing that down. That's so good. Dips. Yes. And so, so it sounds like after, I, I guess I'm fast forwarding and then we'll go back, but it, um, just throwing this in here for context as we go, you know, because Antoinette, you went through this whole experience and, and then obviously it created a bit of a revelation in your life, right? It did change the trajectory of everything that you do. 
And what's what's most impressive, and again, I'm skipping ahead and we'll go back, but I just want to add it for context to everyone, is that you took all of this experience and you figured out how to reflect on it, not only build a business out of it and help spread the word and help people from the experience, but you, you're very good at, at packaging it, right? Like going back and looking at what you did with the acronyms and, and, and this, and it's turned you into an incredible trainer and teacher. Um, did that come naturally to you or did, did you find some help with that? Like, did you, did all of this self-reflection kind of just happen quickly or was it over the course of, you know, so many conversations on CNN or whatever that you start to really put the pieces together and, and realize how astute your actions actually were that day? Well, it wasn't until after that when I went back and listened to the 911 call, when I went back to kind of now dissect, because one of my girlfriends said to me, that's why you got to have a good circle. She said, do you realize what you did? And I'm like, what? You know, because when you're in the moment, you're not looking at the only thing I was thinking about. This young man came in and the school in the busiest time of the day. Normally, we would have had an office full of teachers, parents and students trying to go home. It was dismissal time when he came in. And so all I'm trying to make sure is that each and every child in this school go home, including the gunman. And so I wasn't thinking about what tactics I was using. You know, right. I was not a hostage negotiator. Only thing I'm thinking about this young man that came into the school, you know, parked his car next to my car. A parent opened the door to allow him to get in. So that's how he got in the building. And I would tell anybody when your kids go back to school after this pandemic, don't be kind to let nobody in no door. Let them buzz in. That's why the buzzard is there for us to be able to make sure that your kids stay safe. I know you see that in the movie too. And when you see yeah. it, you're like, well, I could see how that could happen. You're just being polite and holding the door, not knowing that the guy's got an AK-47 and he's trying to kill everybody. Well, to be honest with you, I did it too. <laughs> I'm guilty. You? That's why I say, don't do that. But, but you don't realize all of that until you come out of it. So when I came out of it and I started doing keynote speaking all over the world, you know, going into corporate corporations, going into schools, you know, going into nonprofits and all of that, associations. And I, I was like, okay, what tactics did I use? And that's when I realized and I came up with tough tactics. And tough tactics stands for com compassion, confidence, and control. So when that gunman came in, the reason why I was able to disarm him, because I showed him compassion. And I allowed him to be able to know that in the midst of that compassion, that I had confidence in it and I heard his voice. I allowed him to know that every word that proceeded out of his mouth that day was going to be able to be heard by me. Why? Because it was life or death for all of us that day, including him. And then I allowed him to be able to know that he was in control as he thought, but in all reality, I was. And so when you come back and look at those tough tactics, can you create an environment in your workplace? to make sure that you have tough tactics, compassion, confidence, and control while you're in the midst of diversity, inclusion, and psychological safety. Because when we come out of all this and people have been in their homes for so long, it's going to be some dips. Yeah. And you're going to need to be able to train your employees and your management staff and your teams of how to come back in a safe environment where everybody feels included it will be no more normal as usual. You're gonna to have to be able to show them, what does that look like? How do I come back and allow my staff to know that equality matters? 
How do I go back and make sure that I got diversity in my management staff? Because a lot of times what we do is we look at our, you know, employees and say, oh, okay, you know, my C-level, you know, my C-level employees, they, you know, I got a little mixture there, but a little mixture and C-level is not going to work anymore. Yep. We're going to have yep. to have diversity in all areas of our, of our, non, of our non-profits, our for-profits, our associations, every aspect of our lives. It's going to require it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we've made the most leaps and bounds, at least talking about the subject in the past, you know, six months, uh, uh, you know, maybe going on a year. Um, and, and, and so the, the timing of being able to speak to you is, is impeccable there. Um, let me kind of wrap up the, the story of what happened that day. And then let's jump into, into that. We've got about 15 minutes, minutes left here. And so obviously, again, for anyone who's finding this story intriguing, you have to go watch the movie. I mean, we can't possibly pack it all into, into this, um, but watch the movie. It's on Amazon and, and, and you'll get to, to actually see. And I remember the first thing I asked you when we spoke the first time, I said, how accurate is the movie? Did you feel like that really was like the way you were? And you're like, yeah, like, like she knocked it out of the park. Um, and when I watched that, you know, the way you're describing it is crystal clear, but when you see it, uh, it's almost a little bit more impactful because, it's it's so shocking to see someone speaking to a man with a gun who is out of his mind and and telling you that he's gonna kill everyone, and your instinct is to treat him like a human. Your instinct was not to treat him like a psychopath with a gun, which would have probably been my instinct, and mostly anyone else is probably in that school, right? And that's why what you know to go back to to your your talk earlier about, um, you know, the suicide, I forget it. I'm trying to remember exactly what you said, but you said something about, um, you know, the, the timing wasn't right or something. Uh, but really, or sorry, I'm forgetting, I'm trying to quote you, but I'm misquoting it. But really what I'm saying is everything that happened to you, or sorry, here's what it was. You were saying, why me? Why me? Why me? Right. That when you're, when you're feeling suicidal, why are all these things happening to me? Why are all these bad things happening? And I think that it almost seems like this is exactly why all of those things happened, right? Why not me? Yeah, exactly. Like it, it actually was preparing you to save all of these lives. And that's what all of the, the, the life lessons and everything that you went through leading up to this, uh, that's the irony of the whole situation, right? Is, is that it was all essentially a test to see, uh, are you the person who's going to save the day? And, and you did. Well, the thing about it is, is that, when you look at it, I, I I could have looked at the gunman as, you know, he's suicidal. He's talking about he should have taken, you know, didn't take his medicine. I could have went down that road, right? But at the end of the day, going down that road, how was it going to help either one of us? That day, I was Antoinette in pain, meeting Michael in pain. That day, we was pain meeting pain. So I didn't have time to judge him and do all that. All I could see for myself was here's a young man crying out for help. And two days before that, I was crying out for help and somebody saved him and helped me. And so for me, I even do my life like that today. That's why I do my Living on Purpose program with my women. That's why it's important for me to be able to do women. That's why I do my kids on the move for success because I don't want another youth to feel like Michael Hill did. That yeah. I don't want another youth to be able to come back and say that life is not worth living for. And so that's why I do women on the move to support women, kids on the move to support kids. 
And then I do leaders on the move where we do our, the ultimate diversity blueprint program out of that. You know, so people can come back and say, well, you know, internet, I heard what you said. We don't have that. They can come out and say, you know, I really want that program in my office. I don't know what to do. How do we do that? And so in that program, we take them on a six module tough tactic excursion, you know, teaching them what that looks like in their organization and, you know, doing organization initiatives and showing them what that looks like so their team can get on one page, you know, going in and teaching them the three R's and, you know, being able to restore and, and revitalize and reconnect with their organization and their team members for a win-win for everybody, right? And then come in and do some diversity in there and inclusion and psychologically safe environments for the workplace. But then we also sprinkle a little bit of effective communication on that so that we can be able to come back to make a wholeness within an organization. And so people can come back and say, well, you know, internet, I'm new at this. How do I do it? You know, they can come back and, you know, they can come and do the kickstart program, which is our smaller program that we do for about four weeks for organizations and all of that. Or they can come and say, you know, internet, we did this for a little bit. You know, we try to take a little bit extra dive on that. And they can do our deeper dive program, which is a 12 week program. And then we do have some um, of our organizations who say, you know, internet, we don't need a whole lot more. Can you give me more than that? I, and so we do our mastery program, which we come back and cultivate that for them. And it's about a six months program, you know, between three to six months. And we come back and, you know, saturate them and make sure that they have what they need and all of that. And all of those things are actually on my um, website that people can go in and be able to see all the training that we do for our leaders on the move for success and even our women on the move for success. And even they can go over and, and click the button where it says for my nonprofit and be able to visit what my kids on the move for success is. So I try to make sure that out of that, how do we come back and touch each and every person as a whole? So wherever you a female, you got somewhere to go. Wherever you a youth, you got somewhere to go. Wherever you a male and a female trying to run a business and trying to figure it out, everybody has somewhere that they can plug in. And so for me, what that day showed me was, yes, internet, you saved over 870 innocent lives, parents, students, and even the gunmen that day. But what's more important is how are we gonna save lives moving forward? And so I can say now today, that with my programs that we're doing, with the training, wherever somebody brings me in keynote and speak for 30 minutes, or they bring me in keynote and speak for an hour, or maybe they have me to come in and speak as a panelist, or bring me in for one of my programs, no matter what it is, we're able to reach and teach those in our workspaces and in our training sessions virtually. I, I love it because, I mean, not only is it a critical topic and, and it's super relevant right now. Um, I've been involved in a handful of conversations over the last like six to 12 months or even longer, really, but but more so lately this year, you know, with Black Lives Matter and every George Floyd, everything that's been going on, this just becomes top, top, top priority, right? Even more, like I think people said it was a priority before, but they're faking it. And I think now people are, are starting to maybe really uh, care a bit more. Mm -hmm. At least it feels like they are. Um, but I'll tell you, I've been involved in a handful of these conversations, often with white leaders. Um, mm -hmm. there, there are not many people of color in, in the sales world. Hate to say it. Um, mm -hmm. And so trying to solve these problems or even figure out how to approach them has been very difficult for a lot of these leaders because they come from a different world, right? They don't necessarily have the perspective to understand 
how to approach it or what to do. And so I love that that you're available because I think even even if you do have that context, I think having a third party facilitate this type of workshop or 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 you know however it it comes together, whatever the organization needs, I think you need a third party for it. I really do because I've seen some of these conversations, you know, you know, that, the, you know, that we say, all right, we're going to, we want to be inclusive. We want to have an open place. We're going to put together a committee and we're going to invite anyone who wants to attend. And, and I've seen these things happen and, and it's, it's people making effort from the right place, trying to do the right thing. But often those conversations become very awkward and uncomfortable and people are scared to say the wrong thing. Some people don't talk. Um, and they just, I haven't seen them go very well, even though they're coming in with the best of intentions. So I think bringing in a third party is probably the answer to that. Um, because you are doing it so many times that you're getting better and better and better and better. Why should everyone go out and try to figure out how to do it the first time by themselves? It's far too important, right? For, for that, you don't want to be trial by error on this type of thing. Um, so, so I love that, that you're available for that. And the thing that really that really helps me with the cons when I do it is because I bring you in on that day with me. So you're able to see the gunman holding me hostage and you're able to go in and see some of that footage. So you're able to see a diverse and an inclusion and a psychological safety dips actual environment in action. And that makes a difference. I can come and tell you all day long. Oh, by the way, you know, you should hire this person. Oh, by the way, you should do this. But when you can see it in action and somebody comes out on top, this is the only school shooting in the nation that had no fatalities or injuries because I was able to talk him down, right? So what happens if your team comes in and you're the manager or you're the owner of the business, right? And, you know, sometimes diversity don't always have to be Caucasian. Sometimes diversity can be um, African-American and you just don't have no Caucasian in it. So it goes both ways, right? So no matter which side you're on on the fence, you just want to make sure that you have diversity. And diversity is not always white or black or, you know, or African-American, whatever you want to call it. It could be Latinos. It could be, you know, do you have Asians in there? You know, it could be sexual. Do you know, do you got females or do you got males? You know what I'm saying? It could be gender. So it's a lot of um, things that you put in there when you're looking at diversity and inclusion. And I think sometimes what we do is we just always focus on is it African-American and Caucasians? Right. Is it white and or is it black? And, and there's so much more to it. Right. And we say, oh, by the way, I got a diverse because I may have one or the other in my team. And you only have one. (laughs) And that's the golden standard today, right? Is I have one gay person. I have one black person. We're diverse. Like, no, (laughs) that's that's not it. And and they're not and they're not having any conversations about, you know, what what's that look like? So what we're doing is management teams and all that. We're sitting in these rooms making all of these decisions. Right. And then it's, it's trickling down to our employees. We didn't bring that one employee in to get their feedback to say, does this work for you all down there on the sales team? You got CEOs and everybody sitting up telling the sales guys what they're going to do. Not inviting one of the salespeople in to say, come sit at the table with us and help us figure out what's the best and what's going to work for you all. Think about if you did that with just one and start out. Well, and that's why I say what I said before, that a lot of these conversations have become awkward. So I actually had a former salesperson who worked for me, um, black woman, um, reach out to me 
about six months ago. And, and it was when these conversations were started. George Floyd was just starting. Everyone's starting to have these conversations at work. And uh, I knew that this conversation had happened. I used to work with her, but I knew the rest of the team. And so um, she had reached out to me and said, hey, can we chat? And, you know, she told me that this meeting happened and she was very uncomfortable. And so I dug into it. I still wasn't working there. I was kind of just being a friend, you know. But what was interesting from from her point of view was that she said she's like, look, she's like, I'm the only black per, uh, person in the, or, or only black woman. I think another black guy in the room. But still, right, you're outnumbered by a lot. And she's like, the problem was for me is that because I was the one or two black people there is that they kind of expected me to drive the conversation and like tell people what they should be doing. And she's like, I don't know what to tell them. And I don't that's not my job. And like, I didn't walk into that room for that. Like, if you think that's inclusion, that's the opposite. You're pulling someone in and saying, hey, you're different than all of us. Can you tell us how to like treat you? But that's not inclusion. Right. Like that's you literally just made her feel isolated attacking me. Yeah, exactly. And again, it comes from the right place. Like These guys are trying to do the right thing. They literally don't know what to do. So they turn to the one black person in the room for answers. But that's not her job. It's not her place. And that's insanely uncomfortable of a position to put somebody in. And so uh, I think your inbox will be blowing up with, with companies after listening to this uh, because you need to bring a third party in. This is not something that, that you can do with a, an internal committee, right? You obviously need buy-in from the team, but bring an expert in. There's no one better, you know, uh, than, than yourself. So uh, I, I hope your calendar gets flooded with, uh, with interest in this. Um, but uh before we sign off, because I know you've got another meeting you've got to jump to, I really wanted to dive into the whole business side of the movie getting made. We'll have to catch up another time because I'm so curious like how they approached you and all of that stuff. But um, I, I am curious to ask before we go, have you spoken to the gunman since this has happened? Do you know where he's at? What happened to him? And do you have any update on him and how he's doing? I don't have any update or anything like that on where the gunman is. That's something that I will be doing in the future. And so you all have to stay tuned and come over and be my friends and follow me and all that on social media platforms on Antoinette Tuck. And even, and even all of you all come on and be my friends and let's have a virtual cup of coffee on LinkedIn and all of that. And so we can stay connected. So when I go and do that, you all can be able to see and be a part of that. So yes, stay tuned for it. I don't know what he's doing now. Um, he's in jail or, or do you not even know that he is in jail? I do know. He that. is. OK. Yes. OK. He got um, 40 years. Wow. OK. Yeah, 20. So years he didn't get off on like uh, psychological, you know, anything like that. Not that I'm aware of, but I didn't go to the trial because I was not um, living in Atlanta and they didn't request that I go to the trial. So I'm not sure of any of that part of the details or anything like okay. that. Um, but I will be reaching back out to him. Cool. Yeah, I'd be interested. I, I mean, the real and I almost felt weird asking that because it's like I'm humanizing him. Like I could feel like people in the audience be like, "Why do you care if he's okay?" But like, oh, it's important. You approached the whole situation that way, and it's the reason people are alive. So I, I kind of like I was like, maybe it is okay to ask that. <laughs> um, so I'm curious to to hear when when you find out. Um, Think about it. It's it's actually it was 2013, right? And so we are now eight years later, right? And so he was 20, 20, in his 20s then. Now he's in his 30s, right? And so at the end of the day, it is important for him because he's going to be somebody's dad one day 
He's going to be somebody's husband. And in the midst of all of that, if he never gets married and if he never has children, the most important is that he's a human being and we have to respect human beings today because every life matters, no matter the color of your skin, no matter what, you know, no matter what your preference is and your gender, none of that matters. I don't care what you decide to do. Still at the end of the day, you are a human being. Everybody deserves respect, love, and being able to cherish them for who they are. God bless that. I, I just wish there could be more of that mindset in this world. And hopefully we, uh, you've convinced a, a couple people on this podcast to maybe adopt that mindset. If we could all just love each other a little bit more and stop being so hard on everyone. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. I yes. love it. Antoinette, thank you so much. I know we're a minute over. You're a minute late for your next meeting, so I will let you run. But uh, we'll, we'll have to catch up soon. Stay in touch. I'm curious. I still have a million more questions I want to ask you. So we'll, we'll keep in touch. And um, if anyone is looking for help on diversity, on inclusion, on dips, on tough tactics, on anything that we went through, visit AntoinetteTuff.com. That's A-N-T-O-I-N-E-T-T-E-T-U-F-F.com. And her uh, Instagram, Twitter, it's all the same, just at Antoinette Tuff. So go follow her, um, follow her along on LinkedIn. Oh, I was going to mention, you should get on Clubhouse if you're not already on the new app, Clubhouse. Are you? Okay. I was just saying, you'd be perfect on there. So good to, good to hear that. Okay. Yes. All right. Thank you so much. And I look forward to um, hearing from each and every one of your audience and all that. You all stay blessed, stay loved, but most of all, keep yourself safe during this season. And keep loving yourself. That's it. Love yourself first. <laughs> yes, I love it. Thank yeah. you, Antoinette. You're welcome. Have a great one. Likewise. We'll talk soon. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Colin Cadmus Podcast. Please don't forget, this episode was brought to you by Lessonly. Check out Lessonly.com. That's L-E-S-S-O-N-L-Y.com. This episode was also brought to you by Spiff. Check out Spiff.com forward slash Colin. Please don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. Thank you so much for listening and watching, and I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.